Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Shrinking Out Loud, the podcast brought to you by Palzone. Palzone is an organisation working to prevent anxiety, loneliness and stress and target ill mental health before reaching diagnosis through innovative and specific daily techniques that everyone can action in order to support and strengthen their own mental health. So um, thank you for joining me this morning. I feel like it's very formal when I have to say all this business, but I'll just go with the spiel. Um, and Rachel is, I will introduce you as um, a TikTok star's fiance, yeah. <laughs> but in your own um, in your, your own life, which you do have, you are a probation officer and personal trainer. Yeah. And uh, we're gonna kind of touch upon um, your own story with mental health and also um, living with, um, I make Max sound horrendous here, living with someone who suffers, um, living with, um, in a household where perhaps there are uh, issues, you know, that that come up and how it, how your relationship dynamic works because, um, you know, you're not in a minority. I should think there's like yeah. thousands of relationships that are exactly the same. And it's something that I think sometimes we're worried to address um, yeah. because I reckon there's an element of people thinking that it, makes your relationship sound um less sort of uh, like have less strength to it and that you know that there's there's downfalls but everybody has those those kind of things so it's I suppose being more open with it and like yeah just discussing and also being vulnerable with each other I think is quite difficult um certainly when you start a new relationship um so maybe if we start with something I've always wondered is how soon is too soon to divulge into your your mental health and like things that you've been through when you start a relationship with someone new? Because for me, it would be really important that that person knew that, you know, I've, I have had struggles, but equally I like I've overcome quite a lot. And I think it shows a lot to do with your character. But then there is that sort of you don't want to come across as too vulnerable it's like mm. straight away and I, I wonder whether men probably think it they'd leave it even longer before they sort of you know um express their emotions in that way so how did it sort of start with with you and Max oh what with regards to his mental health and kind you, of yeah yeah because um, obviously you had some things yourself that we'll, we'll come on to but yeah how long did it take, I suppose, for you both to sort of acknowledge the fact that there was an element of, you know, it's a difficult one to like. Yeah, I know. Encompass. Yeah, <laughs> it took us a while, I think. Um, how long have we been together? Six and a half years. Right. Um, and I'd say it always kind of like bubbled under the surface, I think. Um, I thought I was like psycho right the first yeah. couple of years of our how relationship how often do women get called psycho yeah. then which is just awful yeah but there and is it's... an element of that for everyone I yeah reckon. and I mean obviously he didn't say that to say that but it was just and I think it was my pill that I was on right that's what I put it down to is hormones because I changed my pill and I was way more level-headed and then it actually right. went the wrong way and I felt a bit numb because I've come off it now yeah and I feel like a human being with emotions but it was always me just kind of like I would blow up over the smallest of things we'd mm. have an argument and I was like oh are we broken up now are we not because mm. 
none of my friends talked about their relationships none of my friends had arguments or so I thought with their partners so whenever we had difficulties like that I was like oh my god is it, you know is this, this is it? unusual yeah. yeah and there was nothing from his side really um he would tell me it normally came out when he'd been like drinking with friends and he'd say kind of a little bit about his dad in the past he lost his dad when he was 13 or 14 I think um because he talked about he's got a big tattoo up here of like a knight an old gladiator Mm. with a a shield and he would talk about his dad only when he was kind of drunk Um, yeah yeah, and he'd get like a little bit upset about it um which I kind of quite like with it is something that I think men are more likely to open up when they've mm. had a few drinks. Yeah. And I mean, so are women, but it's for a woman like going into a new relationship, you do see a different side. And often it is that emotional, like vulnerable side of a guy mm. when they've had a few drinks. And like, it's a nice side to see. And I reckon they probably wake up and think, oh God, why did I say yeah. that? Like, why did I open that like can of worms or whatever? Or, like I've been too emotional. Yeah. But men should know that like that's massively attractive in a man when they do mm. show that that side of them as yeah. well. Like that they can have different, different sort of, what's the word? Not characteristics, but like different sides to mm. them and that they're not just a one, yeah. you know, one track emotion as it were. Yeah. And I think, yeah. Then he, I always thought that he does show his emotions quite well after, I'd say within a year, kind of, mm. we were, but we're, like, he was 21 when I met him, and I was only 23, so actually not that old. Mm. Um, I'd been to uni, like, I hadn't really had any serious relationships, so I think any difficulties we had, we were both a bit like, oh, not really sure. How kind to of, deal with Yeah, it. how to deal mm. with this, um, and it was only a few years ago, kind of, I think it was about three years ago now, where he just really hit rock bottom and that's when he kind of did go to the doctors got diagnosed with depression it was something we thought about for a while um we did talk about it but it was kind of he was quite guarded about it which is for obvious reasons Mm. um and I say like for the last two three years he's been really open about it like he talks on social media about it Mm. um and yeah I think it was he felt at rock bottom which was really difficult obviously really difficult to watch and to kind of be around when I think I can't remember what job I was. I was either in probation or in the police and it was just, I was really struggling kind of with stress because I just seemed to choose stressful High level, jobs. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we kind of get an adrenaline rush from it though. Yeah, yeah. To try and be there as well. I think like when I was dealing, not dealing, but when I had kind of that mental health going on at home and then at work, well, then I've got people yeah, meant, both, you know, struggling yeah. with their mental health and I'm trying to give that advice at work which you know kind of I'm quite equipped to deal with it but when it's your personal life it's like my worlds were colliding and yeah. I didn't expect them to mm. and they just yeah it was a big bang it's non-stop then yeah. that you're just constantly trying to support and mm. I think did you ever worry that it would take its toll and in uh, that would detriment your relationship because obviously your work I think most people would be more inclined to I suppose three years in, it might have been different, mm. but I think if it's an early, if it's early on in a relationship, you're probably more inclined to question the relationship over your choice of career. Mm. So when those stresses, as you say, like if it is your world colliding, then it's like, what do you prioritize? Do you prioritize being the supportive person within your role at work? Mm because work is unfortunately takes up the majority of our time or you, do you prioritize actually providing that support at home? Yeah. Um, did you, so the three years leading up to when 
Max, as you say, sort of hit rock bottom. Was there things that you could tell, having worked in like, you know, highly stressful jobs and probably coming across, were you in probation before you, during that time or were you in the police during that time? Uh, in probation, so I was in probation probably about a year. I think I met Max when I qualified. So I've been doing 15 months and then I qualified right. as a probation officer. So you yeah. kind of go in on this entry route um, where I was studying but working as well. And then you just do the, it alongside each other. Mm. And I met him as I was take, go like literally qualifying, going into my new role. So I remember talking to him about it. So about 15 months. So did you feel like there was not red flags because I don't want to put a red flag against someone with demons because we all have them. Mm. But did did you see things that you thought, you know, I feel like this is escalating. I feel like, right, so yeah, it was no, very not, Yeah, not at all. And I think, I think Max does, he, whether it's hiding it or whether he's dealing with it, not sure, mm. not sure kind of which. Um, but no, I didn't, didn't really see it coming maybe just up until he kind of really did hit rock bottom but in the years before it no didn't didn't think it but you so you kind of knew though within those three years you had an idea of what it felt like to have a mental health struggle because you'd had your own struggles at university Mm. can you talk me through a little bit of yeah so I yeah I it's really difficult because I always say yeah I've never struggled with mental health and I think that's probably how I deal with it. But I definitely, I had disordered eating. That's kind of what I class it as. Mm. Um, and I just remember going through my first year at uni and just putting on weight. I think it's quite common at uni, you know, you're cooking for yourself, going out Super drinking. Eating, yeah, yeah. Pasta when I get in. Um, it was always like crackers and butter or something with my housemates. Don't know why. <laughs> um, and then I just hated it. And then something clicked in my head and I was just like, I don't want to look like this anymore. So I started doing at-home training, mm. really restricting what I ate. Um, I still remember it, 1,200 calories, because, you know, the whole MyFitnessPal, which it still does, it still says 1,200 calories. Does it? Yeah, people still say it, like, there's a oh lot of stuff God. online about See, it. See, I use it, and I I used to be very good at getting it to about 1,400, mm. and now I've really struggled. Yeah. <laughs> I've eaten breakfast, and I'm already on 1,000. I'm like, yeah. bugger. It's, um, yeah, it's like a minefield, though, isn't it? Because I think mm. unless you're educated on it, you just don't know, do you? Because it's yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. new. And um, it worked. I lost loads of weight. Um, and I was just tiny. And I didn't see it at the time. Only when I look back now do I see it. But then I placed my worth with how like small I was. I was really? getting loads of attention when I was going out drinking. Like I was getting loads of attention from guys. And I think that was really difficult to then kind of try and pull away from. Yeah. And obviously my relationship with Max... I probably was still the same size for about a couple of years, but then actually I was like, I don't, you know, it's not about attention. It's kind of, you know, he loves me for who I am. Yeah. And that's probably what helped me actually be able to come out of it. But I definitely, yeah, struggled with it for years and years, kind of tracking everything. If I didn't track, I just binge on food. Really? And I, yeah, never saw it as kind of any like disordered eating because it was just, I was controlling it. Like it was mm. all control, isn't it? Kind of, um, and then... Did it make yeah. you feel, so your your self-esteem during that time mm. was, was it pretty low? Like when you were, so there's a lot about body dysmorphia at the moment and yeah. how we see ourselves and particularly now that obviously social media, we're all posting, you know, God knows how many pictures of yourself, but there's also like all of the fitness influences and you compare yourself. And yeah. I feel like certainly when I was growing up, there was it was more magazines. So yeah, there was less yeah. or body dysmorphia and 
the idea behind body image and self-esteem being something that was a massive trigger point for mental health issues was less less when I was growing up mm. um so I do feel lucky that we I was in that generation but I think when you were at uni that will have played a massive do you do you think that played a mm. massive part in like I, your self-esteem I think well to be fair Instagram was only just coming in when I was at uni mm. um because I was looking back on my Instagram on my old Instagram and there's a few uni pictures on there but there's not that many so it must have only just been coming in when I was at mm. uni so I, I still remember the magazines and stuff like that as yeah. well um like so, Facebook albums I'll look at my foot and I'm like yeah god can you imagine posting that on Instagram now yeah like the pictures of me when I'm 18 in De Niro it's like having an absolute <laughs> ball on the pole or something and it's like <laughs> I look absolutely revolting but if you, one would never post something like that but you'd post 180 pictures from a night out in first yeah. like there was no qualms about it at all but now like one has to be and I think like even my goddaughters and like my best friends their children are thinking so much about how they yeah. look and I'm like you're a beautiful 12 year old like you know if you want to post a picture of yourself like but they don't see that they see this whole they see something so different and yeah. it, it's so sad because it is that I, I just I think the dysmorphia is being confused with um self-esteem issues yeah. and and that comparison I think they're all sort of going together yeah. and making and manifest sort of manifesting themselves in this like horrible way of of looking at always looking at the negatives of yeah. ourselves so for yeah. example when you say like you that you put yourself worth very much on how small you were mm. no whether you were a size six or like a size four you're you're always going to be thinking I'm still like not you know I need to be smaller mm. and it's like you can't, you, you're going to hospitalize yourself yeah. if you get yeah. any smaller, but you you don't see what other people see. And yeah. unfortunately when, you know, if I look at people who are like tragically suffering with, with eating disorders and you see someone who is, you know, who really is skin and bones and it's like, mm. that's what we see. And it's so hard. Like I have never been in that position, thank goodness, but it's so hard to put yourself in their mindset and say, you still don't think you look right, do you? Mm. You still don't think you are skinny. Yeah. And that's what you, it's just mad. Yeah, like, and it's, and how it's like, what do they see? And it's mm. like you say, it's not like they're not looking at this, what their thoughts are telling them, isn't it? It's mm. what that kind of, that thought inside is saying. It's like what, what you're saying about the albums. It's just, they say it a lot, don't they? It's a highlight reel social yeah. media like what we used to post yeah the Facebook albums hundreds of pictures there's some because serious we're showing everything in yeah. my Facebook albums I'll be telling you that they're absolutely vile but we would just post you wouldn't edit them you would just no. post them whereas now it's one picture yeah edited. with a filter yeah make me look tanned yeah 100% so no worries like no worries no wonders I said it to Max whenever we talk about kids and stuff like imagine being a child mm. now imagine watching your child grow up now yeah when we grew up not even that long ago and we didn't have to deal with any of that like we said had the magazines I yeah I don't think I mean when I was a teenager I looked at the magazines I was like oh I wish I looked like that mm. I kind of you know not eat for a, a little bit and then we do you know kind of I feel mm. it's not like a rite of passage but I you know I think a lot of younger people did that it was only yeah. at uni where I literally actually stuck to something and I saw it working and I was like oh this is amazing like you mm. know 
I feel amazing. And then that just like snowballed from there. It is like the mind is like, I find it incredibly scary Mm. how powerful it is. I think, how did your family sort of, um, were they supportive throughout you struggling? Because to put yourself, as I say, like to put yourself in the mind of someone who has got a, a mental health issue or is going through an eating disorder, you know, is really difficult, but also must be so hard for them to see you being mm. overpowered by your mind because mm. there is nothing one can do. There is, I mean, you can always encourage and you can advise and you can, you know, signpost people to the right kind of therapy. But I'm trying to sort of imagine my mum or if, you know, if when I have children, to not be able to help someone mm. because you know that their mind is is controlling them mm. as it does, but in a really negative way, must be just absolutely like soul destroying because mm. no matter what you say, like if your mum had said to you, like, Rachel, like you're not, you don't look well, you need to, we need to get you some help. Like in your head, you're like, but I do look well and I look too mm. well. Like I, I don't look, good enough I want to look better and sort of for someone to argue with that is really difficult because it's how you feel yeah and it's how you see yourself yeah and I'm just interested as to whether your family did anything although like your friends did they say anything did they try and advise in a different like did you ignore them because I think we all like to ignore things we don't want to hear yeah yeah exactly I think I'm trying to think back and I don't think from what I can remember, people didn't really say anything. Like mm. even my sister, who I'm a twin, and she's just she can be brutal. Like love her to pieces, my best friend, but she will say it how it is. Yeah, brutal honesty is sometimes quite good though. My yeah, dad's exactly. Like that. Yeah, and I mean to be fair, I do. I if something's bothering me, I have to say it, which mm. is not always how it was with Max. We've had to address that kind of you know that whole passive aggressive. I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, um, zero filter. Yeah, instead of saying yeah. what is actually going on, and I'm, now I'm like, okay, I'm going to just say what's going on because we're not going to resolve it if we don't yeah. chat. Um, but I don't remember anyone really saying anything, um, and then that just became because. But I would always like meal prep everything. So when we went out for meals, mm. like I would then prep something. Like especially, I remember going out with my mum. I don't know why I remember this one, but going to a garden centre. And she ate there and I had like protein pancakes in a Tupperware box. They were green spinach protein pancakes. Nice. (laughs) Which is fine. But actually that was just all part of it. Like I couldn't possibly, if I'd have eaten something at the garden centre, my day would have spiraled. Yeah. So I needed to track it. Mm, I mm. needed, I had to track it. Um, I don't remember anyone kind of, but then I would go out for meals Sometimes I used to like go in the same places like Nando's and Pizza Express because I knew what calories are in the meals. So I'd happily go to them. But when it was other ones mm. where I didn't know what was in it, I would just, yeah, I would kind of just spiral. But it would all be like, no one would know. I never spoke about it. I don't think I ever actually said to anyone, I've got disordered eating. Because at the time I didn't think I did because I was eating. Kind of when I came out of uni, I needed about 1200 calories probably for six months to a year. Right. to lose weight and then I maintained kind of I remember being on like 1600 but I was doing a lot of exercise right um and then when I went to my first PT which is actually the owner of the gym that I work out now she's all into women's wellness and mm. things like that she's brilliant um 
she was like, you don't, you need to eat more. Like you need to be eating at least 2000 calories. You're like, she said, you're only having a period because you're on the pill. Like it's not a natural cycle. You know, you're too right. underweight to be having, you know, your body's not functioning properly. It's kind of masked. Yeah. Um, so then I remember eating more, but then in my head I was like, well, I'm eating more now, so I can't have disordered eating, but I was still, it's a whole control aspect of tracking everything. And yeah. if I couldn't track something, I'd spiral, but I was really over-exercising so I just maintained being tiny mm. to the point that I was like oh I'm healthy then because I'm in the gym and I'm eating so what's the problem yeah. but it was that whole the thought process when we me and Max got together like he used to love to cook as, <laughs> as we know still does um he would love to cook for us but I would often make something myself because I didn't like not knowing what he would put in everything so do you think like that's really interesting because I think when I've looked at or sort of been around those who have sorry I uh, do you refer to it as disordered eating because yeah, I, is that what the sort of it's now classified as because I think we need to be really careful with language like mm. people and, and not that it's a, anyone's fault but we do get stuck in like old language that we used mm. to use and I think these as we talk more about mental health like there is the language is, is changing and it needs to be used appropriately. So would you refer to it as disordered eating? Is yeah, that what's I always of... say that because I always okay. thought like eating disorder was diagnosed and I had right. nothing diagnosed. But also I think just from my, I think I pulled myself away from it before it got that bad. Okay. It, I was, yeah, just from what I could, but like I said, because I've been away from kind of that size and that level of control for years now, like probably... Mm. Yeah, when I met Max, I was still pretty small, 2016. But we're talking quite a few years now. Yeah. Um, And I just... But then is that just me kind of trying to come to terms with it? Is that me kind of avoiding what the situ- how bad the situation was? I don't mm. know. But I I always just had the idea that eating disorder was something that's diagnosed. And I never right. got anything diagnosed. So I call it disordered, disordered eating. Eat, because right. it was. Like, that's what it was. It yeah. was. My thought process was not rational around food. So I want to kind of go into the whole control element because mm. I think when you have um disordered eating or um certainly with some mental health illnesses, you know, ADHD to a certain extent is there is a well, much of it is to do with your control, mm. right? And and your thought processes and I think with eating the control manifests itself in a way that you are controlled over the food you're putting into your body or how much you exercise. And it's not the actual um, eating that is the the problem. It's the, it's the control of mm. something. So was there, um, did you move away from it and did you sort of manage to manage the, the disordered eating by controlling something else in in life or was it that you recognized it as a that you know that the problem was that you were controlling what you ate so you Mm. needed to just stop doing that as opposed to find a replacement for that method of control Mm. oh interesting because I'm a massive control freak yeah but in its own way like for example I won't sit in a in the passenger seat of a car like and feel completely comfortable I like to be in control don't like roller coasters because I'm not in control yep same but then there are certain (laughs) situations where I'm like I'm not in control but I'm okay like and this is totally fine so there are scenarios in which actually you're really comfortable with it and eating was not a situation for you where you felt comfortable you couldn't go out Mm -hmm. and eat because you weren't in control of the calories that were going into your body. So yeah. I just feel like, did you need a replacement 
Or do you think that one sort of just came along and you didn't really recognise it? Yeah, I think... Because I never really noticed it as control until I look back mm. on it now. And it's interesting when we talk about ADHD because um, I've like self-diagnosed myself, but not with full ADHD, but I, was, like, I definitely have traits of it. Yeah. And that whole control aspect is it. And I noticed it at work. Just, I can't do, I can't stick to tasks. I'm so distracted. It's mm. unbelievable. Um which is a big challenge when I'm trying to do two jobs at once. Yeah. Um, and I think I don't, yeah, I never wanted to see myself as a control freak. I'm trying to think of what else. And it's difficult because in the jobs that I'm in, you can't be in control of everything. No. Um, and then I went into a job and I changed my role when I qualified and I went into the court where your day is kind of planned for you. And I didn't like that either. Again, in the police, my day, I couldn't control it. Whereas yeah. when I could plan what I was going to do on that shift I was much more comfortable so unpredictable yeah yeah and I think I wanted that but it was because I was so set in a routine I said that was it I needed to get out of a routine that's why I joined the police was right. I need to get out of this routine um and then I didn't like it I was mm. like oh no I need routine I think all of us like sh- like can thrive off of some sort of routine I find it bizarre how some people I, I mean amazing for them mm. I'd love to be feel so like free and liberated that mm. you can just literally wake up and you know not know what you're doing that day how lovely yeah. I'm like right I need a plan I need yeah. a six months in advance yeah. I need to know what's <laughs> happening I need to I mean I'm not that bad but I definitely love a routine I used to when I was teaching I would not dislike obviously I loved the summer holidays but unless I was on holiday mm. found it quite difficult towards the end of the holidays where I was like yeah, I need to be back in a routine because I'm not, and that's why I think certainly with my Ironman training, like I loved those, mm. those six months were amazing for me because I had established just the best routine and everything within my day was just giving me like all the positivity. Yeah, And it was like, this is the best routine I've been in forever. And it is something that you can, you have to find ways in which it's going to work for you, like mm. with a routine. And and not be, I think what's hard as, again, as people who like to be in control of a situation, when something throws your routine out to be able to be like, that's fine. That's just yeah. massive my routine for a couple of days. Like if you get injured when we're training, yeah. like that drives me mad. It, but you have to, I suppose, preempt it and be prepared for it. And that's where the key to sort of, um, that that control element where it's like just be prepared that things might not always go as you've planned them to go mm. um but that takes a lot of practice I think <laughs> yeah I yeah and I think like I I think I just relinquish some control and I mm. think I have a lot Max has a lot to say like you know credit to him for that I think just being comfortable in the relationship because mm. I can't think of anything else it was other than his him like supporting me kind of I knew that he was always going to be there mm. um because even with my training like I was training seven days a week if I was injured I'd still be training I trained through being poorly mm. and even before I became qualified as a PT I'd stopped that mindset I wasn't training when I was you know poorly and everything because right. I was like well I'm not gonna progress in the gym if I'm ill I'm ill yeah I'm not gonna grow to any muscle yeah we're so bad at recovering yeah aren't we? yeah just and but it was, it used to be the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Mm. I just trained through, you know, injuries and everything. Whereas now I'm like, like this morning, like I said, like I, I needed to get my session done, but I did one set of squats and I was like, mm, no. Also, not it's day. not always going to be like the right time. Sometimes no. it's like, I'm going to perform better or I'm going to get more out of this session if mm. I just leave it until later on. And, yeah. you know, sometimes you wake up in the morning and it is like the morning's the best time to do it. Yeah. But 
other times it, it might not be the best time and that's mm. okay like I yeah. know that's into in your routine yeah but you know if you're not feeling up to it and you you know you're not going to get the best out of this this particular workout or whatever then just to leave it is I think that's something we all everyone needs to practice a bit more is just being able to um let the routine sort of run its course mm. and you know be more flexible with it yeah um yeah. when you say about ADHD I think at the moment it's kind of it annoys me slightly that there's a lot of I don't know whether I can really say this but there's a lot of public figures who are speaking out about um uh their personal mental health journeys which is fantastic mm -hmm. obviously we're all promoting like talking about mental health and certainly when people when Lewis Capaldi did his documentary I think that yeah. you know spoke to so many people and it's it's good for particularly the the kids and the the um teenagers to see you know someone that they is probably an inspiration to them to talk to talk up about mental health my concern is that there is there seems to be an element of self-diagnosis mm -hmm. and almost it's kind of being given almost like a bit of a it's being normalized to the mm. extent where something like ADHD which is a massive spectrum yeah it's like autism you know it's huge it's like dyslexia you can have any of these um learning difficulties or those kind of things can manifest themselves in in people in such different ways I think that I probably had an element of dyslexia when I was at, at school um but not to the extent that like a lot of people I know um who have dyslexia have it so for example I can't tell the time particularly well I t can't tell my left and right have to still do this but I can't tell the time on a, a normal it takes me a minute longer than it not a minute but you know yeah, it takes yeah. me a few seconds yeah. there you go I can't tell tell you the seconds um <laughs> but and what worries me is that people are like yeah well I've definitely got ADHD and yeah. it's like have you you know to say that and for there to be people you know I used to teach some children who had incredibly difficult days at school because their ADHD and diagnosed ADHD was so bad and it was so hard for them um to sit and and be in a class and and you know around others when it just looked to their 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 peers until they sort of knew them well enough looked like they were just misbehaving yeah. or were very restless this sort of thing and it worries me that by saying I've definitely got ADHD um, which is what some uh, people are sort of saying, I think, on, on some of the social media channels, is that, yes, you probably do have, as you said, you know, some traits, traits yeah. that are, that resemble those to that, that someone would have if they had ADHD. But to diagnose yourself mm. with, with the, a label, you know, and I, again, I hate to say that it's a label, but is it's not necessarily fair and and I think I've always said like I worry about the extent that we use certain language and that we're telling children that instead of saying I'm sad they'll say I'm depressed or instead of saying I um 
I feel particularly restless, they'd say I've got ADHD. Or if they, you know, mm. if they're, they're really like erratic one day, like they'll diagnose themselves because that's the language that we keep using around yeah, children. Like and blase, isn't it? Kind yeah. Of, and it's, yeah. And you know, and when since people have started speaking out about it, I feel like as as good and as beneficial as that can be, without the right context and without the right, um, I think it needs like that medical. I don't know if that's the right word, but like it needs a doctor to sort of reinforce why that person has been diagnosed with that, mm. as opposed to someone saying well I think I've probably got this I think I've probably got that because then people are seeing that and they then label it because you know it all escalates into Mm. that person so I think it's just really interesting to think about whether we are like all of us and including sometimes when you go to the doctor they will diagnose very very quickly um and it seems like a bit of a not a get out but to to be prescribed antidepressants is pretty mm. easy nowadays yeah um and i think you know we'd probably need to be i don't know what your thoughts are on certainly because i i think you said max also well has max been diagnosed with i was just thinking that because i know that you can get prescribed with antidepressants without being diagnosed with depression yeah uh, so i think he was diagnosed with depression but i can't remember yeah. i think he only had phone calls though so unless he was died but then it might have been because he of was COVID, so. he was on antidepressants wasn't yeah. he yeah yeah sertraline for a good couple of years right and he's recently come off that yeah and is that his only diagnosis or has he so he, yeah so he i know he was tested for adhd as a kid um because his mum he yeah poor mum <laughs> there's so many kids really? that she had yeah he was a terror um they called him little shit. Right, <laughs> yeah. He, he good. misbehaved good so much. Right. Um, he'd jump up on the fridge and jump off the fridge and end up in hospital with a cut head and used Amazing. to go to hospital all the time with cuts. Again, oh, no. causing stress to his mum, obviously what, that, yeah, what yeah, happens yeah. when, you know, you, your kids He's keep getting He's from a big these. family, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. There's six six siblings, including Max. Oh, bloody hell, yeah. His um, mum was... Which is lovely though, because I've got a really small family, so I loved that. I was yeah. like, I want, I love a big family. I'll go there at Christmas because I'm like, oh, everyone's, you know, there's children yeah. running around. But then it's nice now I'm kind of, I feel like, not I've been there, but I like my quiet Christmas mm. sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. to my family this Christmas. Um, but yeah, so he, I know there was tech, but I think it was probably not, I'm not minimizing it, but I know it was harder to get diagnosed. I think, like we said, it is easier to get diagnosed now, whether mm. if he'd gone now, he probably would have got a diagnosis. What, I don't know what that says about kind of whether they're too readily diagnosing it or what. Mm. But I know that his mum took him and he wasn't diagnosed with it. But kind of his whole family, his friends all say to him, he's kind of ADHD in a bubble. Um, yeah. And I can, from what I know of it, obviously like from work and stuff, he really displays a lot of a lot of traits, whether he's not full ADHD, he's definitely got a lot of traits of it. Yeah. Um, but what's really helpful, and I think just kind of going off that conversation is, I I think if people having a diagnosis or if them self-diagnosing them mm. helps them mm. in some way, as long as it, they're not trying to justify stuff, you know, they're actually, so from my point of view, especially with Max, I think being with him now that he's kind of seeing it this way, it's helped him understand his brain and it's working for him. Right. So regardless of whether he's got a diagnosis or not, I yeah. see a massive improvement in him because he's looking at like the spoon theory, like he'll wake up and he's got less spoons than our average person that right. you know, kind of wakes up with all the spoons. And I was talking to my friend who's diagnosed with ADHD 
Um, she said when she had severe fatigue in the past, mm. they used to talk to her about the spoon theory and it's kind of understanding things replenish your spoons, i.e. he was really hungry, we'd eat dinner, he'd be quite stressed, he'd eat dinner, replenish a spoon. Right. So we'd kind of make light of it, I'd, yeah. but I'd get him a coffee spoon like do you know what I mean that yeah, kind of yeah, thing yeah, yeah. and it really helped him so I think it's kind of on that note I'm really glad he's kind of whatever he's done however he's dealt with his kind of like self-diagnosis he's using it to understand his brain whereas I think on the flip side just from kind of work life again not everyone does this but I've seen people try and justify horrendous actions because of mental health yeah whereas obviously it impacts on how you think about things completely people might self-sabotage if they're in like you know mental health crisis etc yeah but I still can't nothing's ever like justified I think it just you can have things that help you understand why someone's thinking a certain way why they're Mm. behaving a certain way but I think that's where I struggle with it is that I don't know whether I, I sometimes have been told I have quite not a harsh view on it but I just want to kind of see the full picture and just yeah. say, because you've got someone that really struggles with their mental health, they're not going to then go out and commit a crime. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it doesn't, it, they're not directly linked, I don't think. No. But obviously there's huge influence in certain things, but that's where I think I struggle with if these diagnoses or people self-diagnosing and then justify behaviour because of it. I think that's quite difficult. Yeah, you know no, I mean? that's kind of, a really good point. I th- and as you say, I think exactly as you just said, actually, you know, to correct me and to argue with my point, you're so right that if diagnosing yourself, because I always think that when one has a diagnosis, whether it is from yourself or whether it is from a a GP, you are able to find things that might help with managing whatever it is you you think you have. And it's a dangerous get, I mean, the amount of times one of my friends at home, she used to Google and diagnose absolutely yeah. everything. And, you know, she'd have the world, what she was had three days to live by the looks of what, you know, she'd find. But if, there, if you can find, if it allows you to educate yourself further on strategies and management techniques mm. of whatever it is you have diagnosed yourself with, then yeah, like quite right, everyone just, diagnose yourselves with with whatever it is so that you've then got the starting point to look Mm. at so but I I think as you say it we want it to not justify actions that are consequences of people who are you know severely suffering from from a particular diagnosis um you know I I think that's a, a one of my my friends um well yeah his sisters and my friend he I used to babysit him and very sadly took his own life um a couple of years ago and he was diagnosed with um psychosis and I think schizophrenia and it had developed over a very short period of time um and he would I, I know he found it well, his his mum found it incredibly difficult because of the way he would speak to her and some of the things he would do. Mm. Um, you know, he would lock himself in his room and he started to, I think there were the moments of violence and aggression, not to, you didn't hurt anybody, but mm. pe- perhaps himself. And, you know, that 
that was a justification mm. for why he was doing that. It wasn't mm. him. It was yeah. not the boy that we all knew and loved dearly. And he was so gentle, like the kindest, you know. And so for 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 us to be able to say, you know, that wasn't him. Yeah. And, and yeah, that yeah. is the justification for why he behaved that mm. way. Because, you know, his mind was had turned evil at that, at that yeah. time. And... There was nothing he could do to yeah. control that. So much so that, you know, it yes. powered his thoughts mm. to think there was no reason to live anymore. Yeah. And and it's so scary to think of what was going through his mind during those times because it wasn't, it's just not normal. And that's yeah. why, again, when someone, when a, when a guy throws the psycho card at a girl or mm. something, it's, you, we we've got to be careful about language mm. and you've got to be careful again about diagnosing, diagnosing, you know, I think they, they've probably got schizophrenia or something. And it's like, yeah, you can't, you know, around, we, yeah. we just have to really think about the words in which we're using. And I know that we, we live in a day and age where dark humor is quite like, we, people use it a lot. But I just think, when it comes to talking about oneself or when you're talking about other people and in a in a serious context it broadcasting and like revealing vulnerabilities that could potentially be very severe for other people it's just really it, i just think we need to be really conscious of mm. how quickly we say i've got this yeah um as opposed to I have traits that to me suggest that I potentially, you know, there's an element of me that has, you know, displays these traits mm. or whatever, because I, it diminishes this like tragic suffering that some people really yeah. do go through. And I would yeah. hate for anybody to ever feel more so the families of people who are suffering because yeah. they probably recognize it a lot more. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just think it's again goes back to language, doesn't it? Like yeah. just using the right language when you're having discussions with people. And I I hold my hands up to it. I'm very. I was doing a, a talk the other day, and and a guy mentioned to me actually that I said I, we we're talking about conversation and how important certain actions are within conversations and how we should be making eye contact and active listening and mm. that sort of thing. And he was like, well. I actually suffer with ADHD and my way of listening and my way of engaging is to be looking down and to be writing on a thing uh, on a notepad mm. or to be playing with something and that doesn't look like I'm listening but actually I really am and I'm yeah. intently listening when I'm doing that whereas if I was made to look at somebody I can't do that that that's not how I best practice this this idea and and he was saying how again like not only language, but also actions and knowing the people around you, knowing specific traits and educating ourselves on how these mental health illnesses, how they look, mm. um, is only going to help us become more of a sort of team within society to yeah. understand each other and to know that rather than not just not necessarily justifying it, but to know that when you look at somebody and you immediately, I'm one of those. I do think they've probably got that. And it's yeah. Like, Annabelle, stop. Yeah. Stop diagnosing people. Yeah. They're probably just 
you know, it's okay to have traits of certain things mm. and we all have them. Those are characteristics. That's so normal. Yeah. But um, I feel like I'm going off on a tangent here, but I know what I'm trying to say about just being careful about overdiagnosing mm. and the use of our language and understanding somebody before we then put them into a category. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's, I know um, I've talked to Max a lot about it and kind of, because of what he went through at school, but that's maybe where the diagnoses are good in that kids at school were just told they were misbehaving and obviously mm. kind of like sidelined. Whereas now, hopefully, actually, if they are being diagnosed, they're going to get that help because they might be, yeah. you know, on their phones or whatever. Kind of, I know yeah. I've always been a bit of a scribbler. Um, but like in my other work as well, one of my best friends, she's a neuro neurodiversity manager in a prison. Right. And she makes these little like passports for people in prison to say how best, you know, what they need, what's going to support them. Because obviously there's That's a lot amazing. of behavioural issues in prison. Because yeah. think of all these, you know, if they've got all these traits and all diagnosis or even just traits, putting them in an environment like that is going to be horrendous for them. It's and going actually, to exacerbate like, things like yeah. to the foot, yeah. And the system, like it's so, there's cuts everywhere, isn't there? That, you know, mm. so short staffed. But the fact that they've still got that kind of support is that's amazing it's good yeah I didn't know it existed until obviously I met her I met her through the gym yeah um our worlds kind of our gym worlds and our work worlds yeah. kind of like collided because yeah. I was like oh yeah so we talk on teams because we're both on like the same systems and yeah. stuff so it's really nice but it's just really <clears throat> like insightful because she is the one that suffers from ADHD mm. so she's kind of really relatable as well yeah for them but yeah so it is that's really interesting that they do that and I feel like I wish everyone could have an element of that like Mm. you know when you have someone um I'm trying to think is it Paddington who's got a little label around his neck and it says like handle with care or something or take care of this bear (laughs) or like people have like um I think I feel like it's an animal but I actually can't think now who it is who has a label and it says like how to look after them best or like yeah. a plant right yeah. so you get with your plants yeah. you get whether you're keeping it out of sun like what to do with this particular house plant yeah. I mean I am just the absolute worst at keeping house plants yeah, alive no, I yeah. so I don't read the labels but I feel like that's kind of exactly what these the do we call them inmates or prisoners in this country um, I watched too much Prison Break. And I know. Went I think, like, I mean, the terminology changes all the time because we're not allowed. You know, like our titles have changed. And, yeah. Um, I know at the moment we call them people on probation in the community. Right. Okay. And in in custody, what is the word that I'm using at the moment? Because um, my dad does voluntary work, like in prisons as yeah. well. Kind of. That's just another. That's not a story we're going to today. Oh. <laughs> but like he told me specifically we're not allowed to call prisoners anymore um, because right. he had issue when I said about it when I was in the police I said oh, I was on prisoners or something that day like that means you're going and interviewing people in custody that oh have been God. arrested okay um they're technically in prison but obviously that is the language that like not allowed some, somewhere has been told yeah. you know, not allowed to use it so couldn't even tell you well whoever they are yeah people those that are in those custody. that are detained <laughs> um we all need a little like passport yeah. that says like make sure I don't get hungry is, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you know speak to me in this way please I'm you at my worst when yeah. I'm hungry or tired <laughs> don't speak to me between the hours of 8 and 10am yeah. because I'll just bite back um, but there is an element of that where it is and that's what I mean when I say like learning to understand yeah. people and in the workplace I'm really encouraging a lot of 
the um, sort of CEOs and bosses that I'm speaking with at the moment to make sure that they have either themselves or have someone within their team who gets to know the employees to the extent that you know their priorities and you know, you know, those traits that they have that perhaps suggest that they're not feeling great that day or Mm. that you can relieve a bit of stress from them if you let them go and pick their kids up that night or little things like that. And knowing people on a a personal level is so important Um, because I only said to my friend the other day, you know, we live in a very judgy culture Mm -hmm. um, and everyone's judging everybody uh, on what they wear, on what they say, on what they do. Um, so it's knowing those people before we start judging them or diagnosing them. Um, and you know, those passports sound like a bloody great idea. Mm. I didn't realize that I think within, and maybe we should come on to now what you like this, the stresses within your, your job and, Mm. and what you, what you come across with those that are detained. Um, because I don't know a huge amount. All I know is that the justice system is has somewhat um, controversial opinions from everybody, mm. and we don't know what's go. We don't really know what's going on. Yeah. We just know that there's a lack of funding yeah. um, in order to rehabilitate people that do deserve a, a second chance at yeah. at life. And you know, what are we doing? what's what are they doing to rehabilitate these people and to educate them in mental health because ultimately it's a highly stressful there's a reason why they're there Mm. um the majority of the time i should think has got something to do with how their mind has controlled them into doing something you know we're not born evil Mm. um you're not born a criminal so so their, their path that has led them to their um, is likely to have had am I right in saying that it's likely to have had some yeah, kind of yeah. disruption that's yeah so that's so um kind of the roles that I've had so probation is mostly probation is in the community mm. so um we used to be two separate services you had the prison service and the probation service we've actually combined to HMPPS so we are linked now um but the role I had for the most of my time in probation was four years I worked in the court um, and I was writing pre-sentence reports. So anyone that's convicted of an offence, so they've gone through, you know, um, police arrest, police investigation, mm. there's enough evidence to put them forward to court, then they've been found guilty or pleaded guilty. So by the time I've met them, they've been through this whole process already. Um, and then my job was to kind of get an understanding of kind of what was going on for them at the time. Why did it happen in about an hour? I've got an hour with them. Right. So that's kind of why I've built God, up all these skills like to kind of, no, I'm quite, I'm, I've, and they've told me, like, not they, as in, like, people on probation have told me this quite often, mm. easy to work with, because I'm normally quite chill, just quite understanding. You are very chill. <laughs> I'd be the Most worst. The I'd be like, right, come on, <laughs> tell me all. It's just, you you have to adapt with who, you know, there's certain people that I would be a certain way with, others, mm. you know, I'm very much like, these are the rules, this is what we have to do, other people, but, you know, you have to work with the person, yeah. based on what, you know, what is going on for them. That kind of thing. So you have to read their character pretty quickly. Yeah, because a lot of the time I wouldn't have time to even know anything about them other than this is what has happened. Yeah. That's all I get. So I have to read, you know, I have to kind of like, like, I'm normally quite a good judge of character, I like to think. Yeah. Um, 
So I do that and then I find out what's going on for them. I talk to them about their childhood. We, you know, we have these things we have to talk about and we identify a new thing. We've done it for a few years now. Trauma is a huge thing, trauma-informed approach. Um, what has gone on for them? What could be traumatic? And I'm saying it's anything, any adverse experience for them. And that mm. could look different for me. That could look different for you. Um, do you find most of them have had some kind of adverse experience? Something in childhood. Right. Yeah. What I find surprising is when someone hasn't had any issues that they are aware of. That's always a thing, isn't it? Yeah, what do you yeah. remember? If there's nothing jumping out at you, that doesn't mean that you didn't go through anything, but it's nearly always, because they say about, you know, the, de- the development of your brain, isn't it? And it's mm. that certain age where, yeah, I actually, not even, we don't necessarily joke about it, but like you say, dark humour. I mean, in the jobs that I've been in, it is, it's rife. Like, you, you know, yeah, I mean, you have to. You have to because of what you're reading about every day yeah. um, to allow it to kind of go over your head. Um I mean, some days you like people be like, "Oh, how do you even leave the house?" Because you're reading about this, and I'm like, "Because you nearly always know this." That's what we were talking about earlier about mm. kind of Sarah Everard. It could have been anyone. That was just yeah. so. Whereas the stuff that I read, it's always like previous partners. Sadly, it's family issues, it's drugs, you know, it's mm. gangs. If you're not involved in these things, mm. you know, you're you're normally you know you're going to be okay, kind of thing. You know, with the more because I deal with used to, well used to deal with the more serious offences of kind of domestic violence day right. in day out. Um, sex offences, serious violence, kind of, you know, your section 18 wounding offences. Right. So I was dealing with them. So I was dealing with the more intense offences as well. And then you're just chatting to this person, kind of just just like we are across the table. Very difficult. Um, and that's kind of why, again, you have to work with them because you're not going to just kind of go in there saying, oh, you've done this. Like, no, no why did you do that? Because that, they're going to put, if someone said that to me, that I'm going to put my back up, you know. But you have to, and I should think like trying to find the I mean an hour's not long enough to find mm. the reason but mm. you know therapists do that when yeah. when you speak to them they try and find you know your trigger points of what what happened mm. to, to sort of build that mindset or to make you feel like this yeah. but it's something that's like um evolved with your mind so yeah. I should think that is that the sort of thing that you're trying to sort of yeah, so decipher say, as well yeah, kind of from the I, I went on a ramble there didn't I but basically so I make that assessment I just need to kind of like just scratch the surface mm. my main job was to make sure like probation custody like so prison is an absolute last resort like and this is what I remember when we talk about it with friends obviously like well, I wasn't able to go into detail but they'd say oh how is this person in the community mm. and it's like you'd be surprised at what gets you actually convicted to a prison sentence really yeah yeah I mean our job is you know um I'm now helping out the community um team in my part-time role everyone's absolutely swamped it's people in the community that Mm. you're then having to you know manage these cases it's we're just basically managing and it feels like at the moment they're managing risk the interventions to help people aren't there so basically the jobs in court are to we scratch the surface to say are they suitable in the community basically are they going to do something serious again in the community do they need to be in prison Mm. but then we're tied by the sentencing guidelines so when the court sentence certain things i.e drug supply you're going to prison what if there are harms to themselves though because so there's things that's really uncommon if you could get a mental health you can get mental health treatment requirements so there are things you have to get a psychiatric or psychological report Mm -hmm. courts do ask for those as well and they Um, do those for everybody no only if you normally they've had them done before I've got 
to them that's kind of been part of the court process or in Hampshire they have um, a service called Hampshire Liaison and Diversion Service they support people from the point of they're in prison um, police custody suites so they're from that point of arrest there's that support there if they need it and if there's kind of concerns going on then they'll be notifying the court we need this report um so that's you can people get hospital treatments as well like they're the most there i think i've probably seen a few of them when i went back to probation um i managed a few cases that were in secure mm. um secure units for years and years and years getting all this treatment you know like doing amazingly well but they've been in for so long mm. but they obviously like what you said earlier they were the cases where they that was just you know their actions were a result of their mental health and right. they are locked up for a long time with all this treatment because of it but there's so few and far between but they are getting treatment so they are having yeah in those whereas in the community i mean it's the same everyone knows the nhs are so like you know strapped for any kind yeah remember one i remember one shift in the police there was an eight hour wait for ambulances like for like needing emergency Mm. ambulances eight hours and you think blimey we were we were stretched but Yeah. yeah um so it's there the support's there but for those more serious more really in need whereas like what we talk about kind of the preventative yeah who's you know there's just there's no one yeah and I don't think it's anywhere really like you know we're not the bottom line is and you know people so when the trauma if you're going back to the childhood Mm. when trauma and you know experiences happen and we all go back that you look straight back to that young age when your brain is still developing mm. and you're developing certain characteristics and, and that sort of thing. Um, so there's our point. That's our key point there to mm. like, this is the opportunity to influence how this is going to manifest itself for the next 10, 20 years within this person's mindset. Mm. But the education around mental health in youngsters is so limited, they're not gonna have any understanding Mm. of how this, you know, for example, and I've said this so many times, I've probably said it on every podcast, but the pandemic is going to knock a lot of children in the next 10 years. So those that were like nine, 10, 11, during that period of time, during COVID are going to be impacted in some way, a lot of them, mm. I should think, impacts in some way. And it will only be apparent in the next 10, 20 years. Yeah. So when we need to do something is right now. Yeah. And that's what we're massively lacking because we're waiting for these things to happen. We're waiting for people to commit a crime until you look at, until we speak to them and say, okay, so what happened in your childhood? Mm. You know, where, where do we think this has come from? Why do we think it's we're waiting for the bad things to happen yeah, instead of saying let's tell people now that if this manifests itself and they don't manage it in a, in you know obviously there are things that we are never going to be able to prevent like there is always yeah. going to be crime there is always going to be people who suffer with depression and anxiety and all these horrible you know tragic illnesses but the number of the statistics can be I believe can be massively decreased if we start putting preventatives in mm. um, and encouraging the right, you know, lifestyles and people 
you know, knowing what, so if you, for example, kids spend so much time on their phone. I mean, I say kids, I do as well, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. You know, if we spent that time looking, if we spent half an hour at the age of 11, looking up what I should do if I feel anxious Mm. and rather than on TikTok or whatever, then, you know, it sounds so lame. I sound like such an adult here, but it would then, that person might actually then think about ways in which they can deal with what they're currently going through. Mm. That's not happening because kids don't know about it. They don't care about it. They don't see it because again, it comes back to that whole, like it's something, there's no instant gratification from it. Yeah. They don't see it benefiting them right now, so Mm. they're not going to bother. Yeah. Um, Because why else would they talk about things that have gone on in childhood unless they go to therapy, mm. unless something happens? Kind of, you know, because therapy's expensive, isn't it? You know, unless you, for what reason people go to therapy, whatever, but why are they going to talk about it? So they're just going to kind of bottle this up and then not think anything of it until something happens, I think. And it's just then you have to, then we're reactive, isn't it? It's Yeah be preventative instead of reactive kind of thing because then you you're very quick aren't you You can't you don't take the thought over it and Mm. it's kind of done then isn't it and I just think yeah you're right preventative I wonder how much like crime is as a result obviously I think I was reading something a while ago that you know drugs obviously awful but they do get a really bad name when a lot of crime actually comes from alcoholism and Mm. like a lot more is caused by drinking and and certainly with violence um i wonder how much you know what an impact it would have if people had better support on their mental health what what impact it would have on on crime because Mm. i feel like we are now trapped very much in a vicious circle where nothing's been done um and so it is just continuously spiraling with that sort of you know people are struggling people are you know committing crimes and or hurting themselves hurting other people whether it's mentally or physically and there's nothing in this circle that's going to break it so we need to and that's why i think early education and kids is targeting that generation is so important because Mm. we're almost a little bit too late to prevent within adults now Mm. but unless we do so like the sooner we do something the better it's going to be for you know it's it's kind of the same with with climate change we're all trying to do things to keep our planet healthy for our children and our grandchildren i probably won't be here to see it but i'm still not gonna you know i'd still like to do my bit towards yeah. it and it's exactly the same with mental health really like yeah. unfortunately we are our, our ships probably sailed with preventing certainly mm. not with with helping and managing but with preventing but if we want to create a better future for our kids and our grandchildren then you know mental health is the first place to start because if that if we can do something with that the the crime will come down the mm. disease will come down like physical the you know what it causes, what mental health causes, the the disrupt to every element of life, I think, yeah. is mammoth. Yeah. And I don't, I find it unfathomable how it's not, like, it, how someone hasn't, like, someone important who, like, one of the big dogs who can actually do something about it has not yet had a light bulb moment and thought, mm. hmm, I know, we should probably do something about mental health because it's affecting everybody. Everyone has mental health. Yeah. And it can 
as a knock-on effect really impact the you know all the physical health all the illnesses and diseases and things that are spreading I mean it to me it just seems so simple but we're yeah like it's, why is nothing happening it's being spoken about so much more isn't it like mm. it's obviously more which is great but it's just still it feels like but we need action happening yeah like it's people are more aware of it but actually then now the services that are there to try and help people were stretched because more people are aware of it so yeah. now they're reaching out for that support and actually like we all know about what's kind of the NHS and their funding. Mm. Why is it not being pumped with funding when we're all talking about mental health? Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's really, and it's people having to go privately, but it's only people then that can afford to go privately for their mental health, isn't it? And it's, I think this... Which is, it's so contradictive because mm. so much of mental health is caused by finance. Yeah. Like, it's... you know, the minute you're in debt, you're going to be, your your pillars start falling down mm. and and that's it then. I think there's like... You know, I could spend hours talking about how angry it makes me, but that would be a contradictor of what I'm actually trying to do. Just have to be very mindful of the fact that it will change and it does just need... I think, you know, it's so, it is, as we say, like so important that people are talking about it. Mm. It's so important that those public figures are speaking more about it. Celebrities, you know, Z-list or A-list, like let's just talk yeah. more about it because, you know, we, when we were, when I was talking about the art of conversation talking is therapy and the more you can start conversations about it the better and the mm. easier it becomes particularly for men to be talking about it um but at the same time in the same breath actions speak louder than words and we yeah. need to like people those that can and those that have a platform and those that you know again we're talking about the big dogs here but like if they can act on behalf of are like our words mm. and maybe that's why we need to just continue like talking because we can't do anything you know it like big enough because it mm. is such a a massive issue like there's nothing we can do that's big enough that will make the drastic change that needs to be made it needs to be the dare I say it the politicians but <laughs> we um yeah, I think we just have to keep talking about it. And so I'll just quickly go on to Max, who is your fiance, and he is a famous TikToker, I'm going to say, <laughs> a TikTok legend. Um, Meals with Max, if you don't yet follow him. Um, and he is using his platform. So he's got what, like 3 million followers? 2 million. Okay, well, we'll get it up to 3 by the end. <laughs> Um, but and so he's using his platform to talk about mental health and what's yeah. his like feedback been from people about that so just talk us through what he's kind of does and really good yeah really good because he's um, I mean TikTok gets a really bad name doesn't it I think because there's just some horrendous comments going around like oh. people seem to forget and I, only because I, I love like scrolling through TikTok it's a guilty habit I've got my whole makeup routine and my skincare routine from yeah. TikTok influencers yeah but I really, I really like them. They seem really like personable. They're really yeah. nice. And um, but the amount of and you know they keep posting. There's a really famous TikTok star who went offline for a few months because she said that she was posting about how depressed she felt and it really, really struggling because social media is quite difficult. Mm. And then a, a video went round. It was cancel culture. A video went round. Um, went viral. What culture? Sorry. Cancel culture where people are just out to cancel people. Right. Okay. Um, and they said. 
they slated her for about four or five years ago that she said it was 5.17 and I'm still working. Like, being an influencer is hard. And that was taken right. out of context. And they, it was going around, it was going viral at a time, literally after she'd just posted saying, I'm really struggling. And a lot of people spoke up saying, why are you doing this? Because you're talking, you know, you're actually just trying to break someone now. Um, and it's just, so that's why it's kind of TikTok. I think it's it's good for some people. IE Max has thrived off it. So he went mm. on to TikTok. He got made redundant in lockdown. Um, became a PT, did an online um, course, became mm. a PT, started doing live videos. And I remember saying into, to him at the time, can you get a real job because yeah, we've yeah, got yeah. a mortgage, we've just moved into this house. Absolutely ate my words. I always joke about it now. I'm like, yep, I said it was a kid's app because it was all when children were dancing. Yeah. That was when TikTok first started. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I remember it coming out, but yeah. like... Yeah, man. he was doing live workouts in the garage. I remember hearing it and I was obviously very stressed because I think I was, a, I was acting manager at that time. He'd been made redundant. We've just got this mortgage. You're we've like, got we've got a mortgage. Pe- yeah, I am that. And you're busy person. dancing in the garage. Yeah, and I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and it just started growing and growing. He'd already had a food business before, but then he started doing the food, and it was just growing. He got onto it, and he does say this like he put in so much work. To it. I'm not minimizing that at all. He's put so much work into it, and he's mm. just his charisma just shines through. I think. Yeah, he and was- I think that's the thing about his, and I think that's you know, we're not as you say, sort of um, diminishing his efforts within the cooking and like Mm. the cooking side of it is great. But what makes him niche is that he, A, is, comes across as incredibly personable. You, Mm. you very much can relate to, to him. And when he's doing his cooking, he talks a lot about his own mental health and, and that sort of thing. And do you think that's kind of encouraged? um, I know he obviously does his discord now, but it is encouraging people to you know see it from a a guy's perspective Mm. so men talking and and encourages them to talk as well yeah I think so because I think he didn't really used to talk about it until like I said there was that kind of point where he was like enough is enough Mm. he came off of social media for quite a long time that's why he had two million and then came off for about a year and has gone back to it he's only been back to it for I'd say like four or five months maybe oh really I can't even think about yeah it hasn't been that long that he's been back to doing it he was off he was off TikTok for a long time. Um, I'd say 20... I don't know. It was during my time in the police. Like, he was still mm. on it when I was in the police because I had people coming up to me saying, is this your partner? And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and now I'm like, yeah, it's like, no, everyone jokes about it now. We know, oh, nice, is TikTok famous. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, wait until, yeah. Yeah, it was when he took the time away. But before that, he didn't talk about it. His videos had to be perfect. That's what caused him so much stress was mm, everything was mm. perfection. He's come back. He's his clum- He's the most clumsy person. It's horrendously stressful. There's something breaking three or four times a week. He knocks something off, spills something. It's probably quite good clumsy. though. Does he leave it on his videos? Yeah, so now he does. Yeah. He didn't before and that was what was causing him so much stress. Now it's a bit easier. Not easier, but he's more himself. But you have and, to show imperfections. Yeah. Because like, that's what's real and that's yeah. what people want to see. And people are saying that. So that's what I was this long roundabout way of saying. Basically, he's got a really nice following. Mm. He doesn't have haters is like I mean, it was obviously going to be the odd person that kind of puts a bit of a idiot comment on there mm. but he has a really nice community and that's what he talks to us about a lot isn't it community it's all about yeah. like he's got a really nice following really nice community he puts stuff up, up about his mental health now he's put up quite a few videos they're really hard to watch of him like quite upset and he's just talking about it he's like, I'm not doing it to get views I just want to talk about it mm. and the response in the comments I've read a few of them and it's like people saying 
thank you. Like, just thank you for talking about it and offering, mm. off, obviously, offering, offering their support. But it's more that thank you, like, because yeah. you don't see men talking about it that much as we've discussed. Mm. And it is just kind of refreshing, but also it's heartbreaking to see because it's, but it's quite nice that people are actually seeing the real him because yeah. it's something we used to speak about. I did say, um, and I know won't mind me saying this, but like he would put everything into that perfection of the video mm. and then he'd come off the recording really stressed, really difficult for me to talk to him because mm. he was just everything. Do you know what I mean? Was that, and then now he's not doing that. He's kind of showing himself yeah. and it's much easier because he's just being himself. Well, you can't put on a front for no, for that long. No. Like, it's just and that's what unsustainable. Broke. That's why he that's that's it. He couldn't mm. he couldn't sustain it because he was just trying to be not himself, but he was just trying to be what he thought people wanted to see. But mm. actually, he's still got his huge following. He's still got his really good community being the person that he is. Yeah. Now. So what do you and Max do? Um, because you have sort of said you when you had disordered eating, you, you've kind of passed that, would you say that that's sort of in your past and, mm. and you're much better, you understand it a lot more and you actually use a different, you, you're now like training a lot. So that's yeah. more of your sort of control area when it comes to sort of calories in, calories out. Um, but Max is still sort of, it can fluctuate, is that mm. right? Yeah. Um, so how do you, when so how do you manage your relationship and make sure that the two of you are bringing the best out in each other and knowing when to support each other and when's right to sort of step in and when's right to actually just think okay I'm, I'm gonna give you you know because obviously you love each other you're engaged you're going to it needs to be something that you can do mm. for the rest of your life so how do you like what techniques I suppose do you use to kind of you know bear each other well, I mean, it's something that we're still working on, but we're so much better. I think, like I said, when he kind of... I'm not putting it all on him when he was rock bottom. Like, obviously, I was in my own situation. I was really stressed. But when oh, it kind yeah, of everything... Oh, yeah, but it's all relative, yeah. Yeah, everything was kind of thrown in our faces as such. We couldn't avoid it anymore. That was really difficult. I don't even... I couldn't even tell you. I think we were just arguing a lot. Just It was a lot of negative energy, whereas now, like, yeah, completely right. It fluctuates. But it's just we're just listening and communicating. And I know it's so cliche, but it's like... You know, if he's not feeling good, he tells me. And I'm like, what can I do? Is there anything I can do? And he's like, no, just kind of yeah. be yourself, ignore it. I but sometimes... just by saying it, yeah. just by saying, yeah. Rachel, like, I'm just going to tell you, today's not going to be a good day mm. in my head. Yeah. By saying that, immediately it changes the dynamic. Mm. Whereas if he was one of those people who wasn't able to speak about it and was just a bit pissy with you all day and, mm. like, actually was like... No, like, you know, and you said, what's wrong? Nothing, nothing. Like, which is often a kind of response that mm. male, female, we we, like, we all get. Um, it's, you know, this would have been half the issue. Yeah. Like, if we, if you'd have just communicated. And, you know, I'm not great at it, but, like, I am better than I used to be at mm. saying, this is this is my issue or this is my problem rather than bottling it up or sort yeah. of waiting for a week to pass and then potentially saying something. It's like, why are you bothering? Cause you're just holding all that stress yeah. inside and it's not going to get any better. Yeah. And I think it's, it's difficult to do to, I think because we are so far into it, like, I'm, mm. I mean, I think it should be done at the start of every relationship and it kind of goes back kind of that whole childhood thing is like, my parents are really dysfunctional, like married, live in the same house, 
barely speak to each other. Like, it's been like that all our lives. Like, me, we right. talk about it all the time as siblings. We're like, oh, my God, how are we in functioning relationships? Really? Because they don't, my, yeah, they don't, they just put each other down all the time. Right. And I think that's why I'm sometimes, a, and I've said this to Max, I'm a bit headstrong sometimes. If he does something I'm or says something that I'm not a fan of, or in such a way that I'm like, oh, I don't like that tone, mm. I'm quite quick to say, I don't like that. Don't speak to me like that because I've seen it. I think, like I said, I've seen how my dad used to speak to my mum and they literally, like we say all the time, but they hate each other. And I'm like, why are you together? Why are they together? Uh, So my mum always had the, like, reason of children. Like, because my dad worked, he was high up in civil service, like, always worked well and she did like part-time work for us kids let's go horse riding so we're very lucky to do that you know she paid for our hobbies he paid for the house and everything else and the holidays um and then my mum was always worried oh you know I won't be able to afford this this and this so then she waited until because we've got an older brother as well and then me and Catherine who are twins she waited until I'd gone to uni Catherine didn't go to uni um and then when I was back from uni I had to live at home for a little bit as we all do kind of Mm -hmm. like you know had to get some money together then moved out and then Catherine her relationship broke down and she had to move back home. And so there's always something that she said was kind of, you know, didn't want to ruin it for the kids. Yeah. And we've kind of, as we're older, I say it in a bit more of a tactful way than my sister, but <laughs> I say, you know, it kind of just wish you'd done what you needed to do for yourself kind yeah. of thing instead of that. Because now, but then like I said, we're all, all three of our siblings are all like my brother's married. My sister's like very happy in mm. her relationship and I've got Max, but it's just, it is going to impact how relationships are because you've just you know yeah. grown up with that and it's it has to be equal but I do feel myself sometimes and I do say to him like I, I think I know I've I think I've kind of overstepped I'm sorry I didn't you didn't mean it like that yeah that's my issue kind of thing and it's owning that because I never used to like what we said like I was just yeah. I've said it to Max before I said I feel like I was horrible probably at the start I'm like You're, you you stayed with me you've well done, done well <laughs> yeah congratulations <laughs> I, yeah I've had to like actually the way I speak um I used to be passive aggressive in that I would just Mm. ignore him. He'd do something to annoy me and I would just ignore it. But it's acknowledging it. Like that's what's so important. And I think that with a lot of, it's it's acknowledging your faults, Mm. which we all have, um, and acknowledging how you might act in a response to that. And when you are of, of sober mind to just say to your partner, you know, when I react like that, know that it's not yeah. you. Know that like that's ha- this is what happens in my head, and giving them an element of understanding because I truly believe no one will ever understand anyone else's mind. Like you can yeah. never say I fully understand what you're you're experiencing because you won't. You mm. never do. But to give them an element of understanding to yeah. this is what goes on in my head. Like when you say something like that and I bite, like because I'm angry that's what's happened like that's the process I've gone through so it's not what you've said it's just I'm tuned to react like this and it's probably a result of such and such happening you know or whatever or the relationship that I saw between my parents and that sort of thing so it's giving a bit of reasoning to it Mm. and as you say like communicate I know it's cliche but like yeah it I don't actually think honesty on communication I don't think there's anything that makes a relationship strong like that's Mm. more of a glue to relationships working yeah I think because we've never had to deal with any issues like never had any trust issues between Mm. each other I'm so grateful that's nothing we've ever because I've seen that tear relationships apart ours has been the communication and it's kind of me understanding that 
Max is not a stable guy when it comes to mm, like business mm. and you know money and that kind of thing whether that's to do with you know kind of the traits that he has I don't know but I've got to then I've had to learn as my like very stable you know sensible self you're more sort of logical yeah. and um not realistic uh like yeah, kind of I just rational and just like rational is the word think I'm looking the, for overthink things yeah he'll go diving in and actually together that makes us because otherwise I um I've said it before like I wouldn't be a personal trainer now if it wasn't for Max like mm. I wouldn't have left a nine-to-five job or shift work whatever I was doing I wouldn't have done that without mm. him with him being so driven to do what he wants to do um so I've got him to thank for that but in this that in the same breath I've still got my part-time job because I want that little bit of security yeah yeah but it's just going back to that communication thing and that it's still I have to check myself in that if he is feeling he's not having a good day and he's made me aware of it i.e like you know got no spoons this morning yeah yeah. if I'm feeling a bit crappy myself Mm. I really and there's been days where I haven't done it and where I've been like oh this is gonna be a shit day then and I've snapped a little bit not snapped but not like bitten back yeah and that hasn't helped him and obviously so that's very infrequent but I've done it very like not recently kind of that was just when it was all come kind of I think I was really really stressed at work and I have to then check myself because but it's we all have our own stuff going on Mm. don't we so it's about being there for him and understanding that great he's communicated that Mm. I then have to be in a good space to then do what I need to do or be what I need to be yeah. and we kind of have to talked about that and said if we just need a bit of distance kind of you do your thing I do my thing today yeah that's fine it's how you make it yeah and it is just finding those ways that work for you and I think anyone that's in a relationship with you know where they're, they're finding there are things that perhaps you clash on or that days are getting perhaps more stressful than one would like them to mm-hmm. It's finding, first of all, prioritizing yourself and thinking, right, what do I need to make sure that I'm in a in a positive, good state of mind? And then you can help someone else, like, and yeah. then you can help your partner. And then you can say, right, I know that I'm going to do this because this is what's going to help me. Mm. And then what can I do to support you? Because you know once you've once you've you've got to sort yourself first like yeah you're no good to anyone are you no exactly and you will only make each other worse and start to resent each other I think Mm. if you don't if you don't do that and if he puts himself first and you put yourself first and then you come together then it's like actually you might get rid of that bit in the middle that where you you clash anyway because you've both looked at it from a different I mean it's it's being uh, is reacting appropriately and sort of taking that moment, yeah. taking that breath to just be like, right, as as you said earlier, like when Max says to you, right, just breathe through it. Yeah. Like there is an element of, okay, I need to take a minute. My mum is awful at taking a minute because she just <laughs> bites off a thousand things and it's mm-hmm. like, mum, just stop for a second because everything's going to shit because you've, you're burning everything in the kitchen because you're trying to do it, cook a hundred yeah. things. Yeah. And it's like, just stop, compartmentalize, prioritize, yeah. breathe, and then go back to it. But we're so bad at doing it. Yeah. Like, we just like to, and I think that's another control thing. It's yeah. like, no, no, I'm fine. It's like, you're not, you yeah. need a minute. Yeah. I had a science teacher actually, and she used to, I went into the room, she would be like, welcome to biology with Miss Corrie. And she'd go, and we're going to breathe in 10 no she was my favorite teacher but genuinely 
I absolutely loved the little 10 second breathing at the start yeah. of the lesson and it probably did bring me back down to earth a bit I don't think it was me I think it was the boys that she was trying to actually bring into the room but yeah. she was the cutest woman and I just loved it and now I kind of see why she did it yeah. she was she hit the nail on the head before any of us knew about breathing techniques but there is, there um, is something about it I think you've got to be in like the right frame of mind for it like I said earlier like sometimes I mean it does it obviously is going to help but if you're in this situation where you see there's no way out and like someone yeah. tells you to breathe I think it's really easy to kind of be like unless you have already practiced it before yeah you're not going to be able to do it and yeah. I think yeah that's where I struggle I, I get it now like the dog really annoyed me on a walk like constantly I'd hurt my back last week again just had to deal with it so yeah. this is where I've got a lot better I hurt my back that's fine what can you I do I couldn't train yeah. properly it was a bit annoying that it impacted on my work but clients kind of just dealt with it yeah um there's only so much you can do yeah exactly um and the dog was like yanking on the lead and it was really sore and then I just kind of literally it was a really nice walk it was really early in the morning I just kind of did those big breaths as I was walking listening to the birds because it was like 6 a.m mm. and I felt way better yeah and then she was better on the lead because I was I was holding so much of that yeah. negative energy like they feel it don't they they always say yeah. feel it through the lead and I was like oh my god it works it's like with the it's like with um don't they say the same with like when you've got when you're pregnant your baby can feel like your negative energy and that oh, like if you're yeah. in stressful situations yeah it's really not good for the baby yeah like you have to like and again it's that positive energy yeah. which like just has to I mean again I love going into like this sort of um airy fairy stuff but like no, but it is the positive energy yeah. and you know having that knock-on effect to other people like is just so worth looking at and so worth exploring if yeah. you don't if you don't know about it sort of going and and finding out because yeah. when you practice it and when you try it it might fail a few times but then it will work and you're yeah. like hold on the good things what? keep on this coming actually when does work. work yeah no that's and that's what's something that max got into and that was when it was talking about the breathing and i was like yeah i've heard i've got the is it vex vex king good lives good good vibes good life or something like that and it talks about vibrations heard, it's and, a podcast no a book but like there's oh, a few different yeah, I've ones seen as well. i've seen um but it's, yeah i've seen it on a cover somewhere yeah so maybe it's, it's quite it's literally on my bedside table at the moment i think i read half of it and it's just very repetitive mm. like but it makes sense but i was when i was reading it i was just reading it for the sake of it and then max was talking to me about it i was like mm, i'm not really in a good place to kind of think about this right now and then now i'm kind of literally dropped a few of my hours pt's going really well i'm in a uh a, a point where i'm like oh I can, I can this makes sense I can think about it I can yeah. take that time. I've actually got time to breathe and think about this like yeah. I realized how negative I was sometimes like I would just kind of wake up one morning and like be texting my friend I'm like oh this hurts this blah blah, blah. just negative and I was like hang on I'm gonna check myself I'm literally yeah. breeding negativity here like let's mm. stop and I've actually said there's one friend in particular we always just seem to have a moan and I was like let's not let's not be negative let's, today. Not, let's yeah. not vent let's just be positive or it's funny how we have to consciously do that as well yeah. where it's like I, I used to do that if I'd go on I used to hate walking up hills <laughs> but my family would drag me on the camping trips to, you know to walk up mountains like you know awful but I remember thinking to myself once I then went and worked in Italy and I had to lead these hikes up mountains and I was like this is awful it put me at the back with the asthmatics because I can't bear it <laughs> and um one time I thought to myself I'm gonna get to the top of this mountain without saying one negative thing mm -hmm. and it took every inch of my strength to not say 
my feet hurt, my back hurts, I need to sit down, I need a rest, because I was such a moaner when I was going up hills. <laughs> I still am, to be fair, but I just have to, again, get rid of those thoughts. And it makes such a difference. Yeah. Now if I'm running and I'm like, this is really hard, I need to think about the good things about the run and the fact that I'm there yeah. and I can be grateful that I've got two legs that I'm able to run on. Um, yeah, I'm not like that on a hill because I just stop the watch and walk, but... You know, it <laughs> it is all about sort of knowing and and consciously doing it. And even if you do have to consciously do it, still do it. Like yeah, it's yeah. not gonna for every, not for everyone. It doesn't come sort of. You can't do it unconsciously. Yeah. Um, and the more you do it, yeah, the more the easier it the will less, come to easier. Yeah, yeah, and the less negative thoughts actually do come into your head anyway. Yeah, when you look at everything through a bit more of a positive light, which can be very difficult. Um, when there's a lot going on but I was saying to my friend the other day about your pillars and if if one has fallen you need to look at the positives within the, yeah. those that are standing because when more than one starts falling it's it's a lot harder to pick them all back up yeah and look at the ones that you can control a little bit more yeah. um so yeah it's um it's difficult to until you you've got to want to it's very much like coming from an uh, like addiction or something you have to want mm. to change you yeah. have to want to get help um this is on a far smaller scale i say smaller scale a different scale because everybody should want to better their mental health because mm. i think we can all do you know nobody's got perfect mental health yeah um so there are so many things that you can do and i think it's my mission I suppose is to educate people in how easy things can be and how we can implement stuff without even knowing that we're doing it so mm. it's not a conscious effort to spend 10 minutes doing breath work every day yeah. how can you do something that has the same benefits and has the same impact but not even realize you're doing it and there are so many ways um I feel like we've spoken for about four hours what time is it Ten to one. Ten to one. What time do we start? About quarter past eleven. We've done quite well there. Jeez. We'll go and continue our chat um, with some lunch and coffee. But I will say thank you so much for sharing yours and Max's story. Um, if you do not already follow Max Meals with Max on uh, TikTok yep. and his Discord, he does quite a lot um, of chats with like guys on the discord is that right yeah yeah it's like loads of different channels and stuff in the di i don't understand it that much, no i don't understand me, the discord there's people talking a lot in there i mean okay. I'm, a, I'm a group chat muter so yeah <laughs> me too we all silence <laughs> but those. no they're really good in there like people is going all the time okay um, so, so yeah. any listeners who are not following get yourselves involved um and yeah hopefully we will be able to share a bit more about um what you and I and you myself and Max um, get up to in the upcoming months thank you so much for being on the podcast and cut mm-hmm.